All right, let's get started and open up to Jonah chapter 2. I said uh, we'll read it in its entirety, the chapter, before we get started. I feel a little different than this morning in that the story doesn't progress very much uh, like it does in chapter 1, 3, and 4, uh, so the, the feel of it is a, a little bit different. Um, still excellent nonetheless, um, God's word as we see Jonah's heart uh, as he prays out to the Lord. Uh, so if you would, please follow along as I read Jonah chapter 2. Uh, let me start in 117, actually. And then we'll go into chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right, let me pray for us in our time together. Lord God, as we approach your word, we ask once again for your grace. We ask that we would see you clearly and worship you. We ask God that you would be made known, that you would give us Strength in this hour. God, help us stay awake, to be attentive. Help us not be distracted or distracting. Help us, God, see your truth. Worship you for your glory and praise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been around at TYG for some time, or have heard me speak uh, for some time, uh, you'll be familiar with some of my high school stories, some of my high school life, um, and some good and some bad. Um, and sadly, maybe some, many of you have heard of the years, uh, a couple years, two and a half, three years or so, in my later part of high school years, uh, that were really just filled with rebellion and disobedience. Uh, years in which um, I hate, I hate those years about my life. Um, but the Lord used it um, in his sovereignty and his grace. 
but they were the darkest times, I would say, of, of my own life. Um, a really lot of disobedience to my parents and ultimately to God. And I, I, I was a Christian um, at that time. I believe I was a Christian, but, but I was choosing to consistently walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. And, and I surrounded myself with bad company. I consistently chose to live in sin. Poor choice after poor choice after poor choice. Uh, my own choice. Uh, and I chose sin. All too often. Whether it was just direct disobedience to my parents. Whether it was just rebellion and sneaking out of the house. Whether it was slandering my parents behind their back. Whether it was just making bad decisions with the people I hung around and so on and so forth. Uh, whatever it was, it was just sin after sin after sin. And I remember, through the influence of my youth pastor, the influence of my parents, and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I remember thinking to myself, this is around my senior year, halfway through my senior year, thinking, I, I, I have a decision to make. And all this influence and getting to this point, I have a decision to make. And either I, I continue down this path of rebellion and sin, or I stop and I choose to change, to live and to respond how I know God wants me to. Because I knew. I knew how it was. And I remember one night just, just sitting there and thinking and praying to the Lord of, I, I I need to make this decision. I, I, I need to choose. Am I going to continue down this path or not? Jonah had a choice to make. At this point, Jonah is in the belly of a fish. He was, he was digesting in the belly. Jonah was not actually physically digesting in the belly of the fish. He was not becoming fecal matter. But he was digesting in his mind. And in his heart, what God was teaching him. Was Jonah going to continue in his stubbornness and resist the will of God? Or was he going to finally listen to God and learn from his mistakes? He had a choice to make. I believe he chose the latter, that he was going to finally listen to God and learn from his mistakes. And it's really an interesting chapter. And its style, if you picked up on it, uh, is very similar to that of a psalm. Maybe it felt like a psalm to many of you. Uh, in fact, it has many similarities to some of the other psalms. And in it, we see the change in Jonah's heart. We see his repentance. We see his turning to God. We see that he finally stops and listens and learns. What God is trying to teach him. Now, just because he repents and he learns from his past sin, it doesn't mean that we're going to see Jonah sinless from this point on. You know, in fact, we're going to see him continue to sin in the next couple chapters. But this is the Christian life. The Christian life is full of sin and repentance and sin and repentance and so on. It is a struggle. It is a fight. Even for people... Like Jonah, a prophet from God. Do not think that God's prophet is above sin. Do not think that your pastors or your leaders are above sin. 
Do not think that you are above sin. The believer is a new creation, but they are still in their fleshly bodies. And they are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. And by the grace of God, he gives them victories. And by the grace of God, he forgives them, even in the times of great sin. In this chapter, we see the heart of Jonah change. Through his prayer, we see evidence of the change that happened in his heart. So what I'd like to do tonight is examine three aspects to this psalm-like prayer from Jonah. In it, I would like to recognize our hopelessness apart from God, recognize the emptiness of idols, and recognize the fruit of repentance. All right, so first, we recognize your hopelessness apart from God. Recognize your hopelessness apart from God, verses 1 through 7. And Jonah has gotten to the point where he realizes his desperate need for God. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. He knows he is about to die. He realizes how hopeless and desperate he is. And so he calls out to God for help. And notice what happens to Jonah. He is sinking deep. Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I think usually we we think of Jonah immediately hitting the water and then whoop, there comes the fish and swallows him up. I don't think that's what happened. It sounds like he hit the water and God allowed him to sink for a while. That he went deep into the heart of the sea. That the floods surrounded him. That the waves passed over him. Sometimes God allows us to go deep into the storm so that we may recognize our great need for him. Might God be trying to show you your great need and hopelessness apart from God today? As the water piled on top of him, as he sunk further and further into the deep, Jonah got to the point where he realized his need for God. And this is the place where each one of us must be as well. You must understand, whether you are a Christian or not, that you desperately need God. If you are here and you are not a Christian, you must recognize your hopelessness apart from God. The picture of Jonah drowning in the sea by himself with no chance of swimming back, with no chance of being saved, is a beautiful picture of every single one of us in our natural sinful state. Jonah was as good as dead. He was sinking and sinking. No way, no chance of survival. 
But then God intervened and provided a miracle to save his life. And had it not been for God intervening, Jonah would be dead. And the same is true for you, non-Christian. Without God intervening in your life, coming to save you, your death is certain. You are drowning without hope. You are sinking deeper and deeper. And there is no one, not even yourself, who can save you. You cannot swim out of it. In your sinful rebellion against God, you have the wrath of God over your head. You are sinking down into the abyss. And no amount of works and no amount of effort will help you swim out of the deep sea. See, Jonah is a picture of our lives. Jonah is a picture of you, non-Christian, who are sinking hopelessly into the deep sea alone with no help and no chance of survival on your own. But what did Jonah do? He recognized his desperate and hopeless state. And he cries out to God knowing that he would hear his cry. And God did hear his cry. And God did show mercy. And God did do the miraculous and save him. And God can do the same for you. Do not think that you are beyond God's reach. I mean, let's just recap a little bit what Jonah had done. Right? He clearly received instructions from God, and he decided to disobey God instead. And so he paid the fare to run in the opposite direction that God called him. And then he just said, I'm going to sleep. And he sleeps through the storm that God hurls upon him. And then he was apathetic towards other people perishing at his own expense and decided that he'd rather be thrown overboard and just left to die instead of preaching to the people God wanted him to preach to. And yet, God saves him. And God hears his cry. And God shows him mercy. Maybe you have greatly fallen short of God's glory. Guess what? We all have. I have. All of us deserve eternal wrath. That is something that we all Share in common. No one in this room can say otherwise. But God still saves. God looked down upon the unrighteous. And he sent his son Jesus to live the sinless life that we needed to live. And to die the death that we deserve. And in Jesus now we have eternal life. Christ died so that you may live. Do not think That you are outside the reach of God. But recognize that you are hopeless apart from Christ. But also recognize that you are saved in Christ. Cry out to him for mercy. Cry out to him that he would save you. And in faith believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now if you are in Christ and you are a Christian, you still must recognize your hopelessness apart from God. Christian, do not forget the mercy of God in your life. 
Sometimes we feel as if we have outgrown the mercy of God, as if the mercy of God does not apply to us anymore, as if we are no longer desperate for God's grace and mercy in our lives. Christian, I challenge you to assess in your life if you are filled with spiritual pride. Do you feel as if you don't need God? And we would never say that. We know better than that. We say, yeah, of course I know I need God. But when is the last time you ever felt or even acknowledged your need for God? Has God blessed you so much that you forget the hand that it came from? Has God poured out grace upon grace upon grace that you forgot how undeserving you are of his love? Have you become so spiritually prideful that to acknowledge and give thanks to God has become a foreign practice in your life? Do you realize how desperate you are for God's grace in every aspect of your life? I hope that you daily go before God And you confess your desperate need for him in all things. Because we are hopeless apart from God. I'm talking to the Christian right now. That you are hopeless apart from God. Thank God for his grace and his mercy in our lives every single day. Christian, have you grown spiritually prideful? Thinking that, that, that you are better than everyone else? Thinking that you're better than the non-Christian? Why is it that that so often Christians will look down upon non-Christians and and laugh at at them as as if we're somehow better than them? In no ways is a Christian in themselves better than a non-Christian. The difference is Christ. Is the Christian a new creation? Yes! Is the Christian putting to death the, the, the deeds of the flesh and pursuing the things of the Spirit? Yes! But why is this? Because of the grace of God, the accomplishments of Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because you are any better than the non-Christian. It's because of God's grace. So why look down upon the non-Christian? And spiritual pride. Christian, let me ask you. How do you deal with the sins of the world? How do you respond and react to the sin of non-believers? Are you shocked by the sins of others? When you hear the sins of others, but believers or unbelievers, when you hear the sins of others, is your response, man, how could you do that? Or man, how could he have said that? How did she do that? Are you so far above sin that you can't understand who would do that? Are you unaware of, of, of any sin in your own life? Or is your sin just not as bad? Have you forgotten the mercy of God in your life? Have you forgotten where you came from? Have you forgotten that you are in the exact same place? That you are drowning in the deep sea had it not been for the grace of God? 
Do you look down upon others? You're shocked by their sin. That is failing to understand that there is no difference between them and you apart from God's intervention in your life. That's it. Does your spiritual pride, are you consumed with spiritual pride that you look down upon them in their sin? And so much so, does does your spiritual pride prevent others from feeling like they cannot approach you? You think people know that they can approach you? That they can come to you and know that they will receive mercy and compassion from you? Do they know that? Or maybe I should ask, can they? A Christian or a non-Christian, can they, can they freely approach you with their sin and receive love and compassion from you? Or do they know they will receive rejection, judgment, that you will look down upon them in spiritual pride? Are you so filled with spiritual pride that others know they cannot approach you? Part of Jonah's problem and why he did not want to preach to Nineveh is that he was consumed by spiritual pride and forgot the mercy he had received from God. He forgot he was no different than Nineveh. He sees Nineveh as these horrible, wretched people who do not deserve the mercy of God. And he would be correct. There's nothing wrong with that statement. But he failed to see himself in that same light. Christian, do you fail to see yourself in that same light? Are you so filled with spiritual pride that you forget how desperately you need God's mercy? What must we do? What what must we do in the spiritual pride? We must remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember that you have sinned against God. That you have sinned against him. That you have turned your back against God. And that you deserve his eternal wrath. And we also must remember the grace of God. That God being rich in mercy in his great grace has loved us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus came and died in our place so that we would be forgiven by God. Jesus did the work on our behalf. Jesus took the punishment on our behalf. And now, because of his grace, we have eternal life in him. Do not Forget the gospel. George Whitfield preached a sermon called Method of Grace. I loved, uh, I'll summarize one of his points. I don't think this is verbatim, but he said something along the lines of, you have not understood the gospel until you have not just repented of your sins, but have repented of your righteousness. Sometimes it's a lot easier to repent of our sins than it is to repent of our righteousness. And when we do repent of our sins, often we can feel pretty good about it. 
And then maybe we need to repent of our righteousness. And this is really a word to many of us who grew up, I think, in a Christian home. Thinking that we have something to offer God based on our righteousness. Let us repent of our righteousness and understand that we need the mercy of God just as much as those who are not as, quote, righteous as us. Are you disgusted of your sin? Are you disgusted of your righteousness? Confess it to the Lord and receive mercy. We need God so desperately. We need his mercy so desperately. And he's willing and ready to show us the richness of his mercy and grace. Secondly, we must recognize the emptiness of idols. Must recognize the emptiness of idols. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 8, Jonah mentions idols. And it might kind of seem odd that he would start now just talking about idols at this point. Like, whoa, where did this come from? But it really does have a strong connection to what he had just said about our desperate need for God and our hopelessness apart from him. Now, who is he talking to here? Who's his audience? Well, I I don't know that it really matters. Whether he's talking to the the pagan idol worshiping sailors he just encountered. Whether he's talking to future Israel as he will one day retell the story to them. Or whether he's talking to himself. I don't know. But the point is clear. That any kind of idol he could have had, whether it was made of wood or stone or gold or or any internal idol that he could have worshipped, no idol would have any significance or help as he was sinking down to the bottom of the sea. (laughs) No help. Any idol would have been futile. The only hope he had was in the Lord and the mercy of God. That's it. Let us listen to the words of Jonah. Any vain idols you are running after is worthless. It's worthless. Trying to be the perfect child. Trying to have the perfect body. Trying to have the perfect grades. Trying to be the most liked by your peers. Trying to have the most success in this life. Trying to obtain the most fun. But whatever it is, whatever the idol is, it will not rescue your life. Tim Keller in his book titled Counterfeit Gods, he said, quote, An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. End quote. There is nothing in the entire world that can give your life meaning, value, significance, security, other than Jesus Christ. Where are you searching for these things? Are you searching outside of Jesus Christ? What are the idols in your life? What are you putting in the place of Jesus Christ 
for you to have value, for you to have meaning in life. What are you replacing him with? Relationships? Reputation? A certain lifestyle? I promise you, whatever it is, it will not and cannot ultimately satisfy you. It cannot do what only Christ can do. Do not forsake. Do not substitute. Do not miss out on the love and the mercy of God for the empty promises of false idols. Look at what he says in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They forsake it. Forsake what? God's love, his steadfast love. In fact, the word for hope of steadfast love, it's one word in the Hebrew text. It's the word has said. And this word is commonly used in the Old Testament. And it's really an incredible word. There is not a word in English that can do it justice. Has said it can be referring to God's love and God's faithfulness and his mercy and his covenant. I mean, all of it in one word. And Jonah is saying, when you are chasing after idols, you are forsaking Hesed. You are forsaking the steadfast love and mercy of God. Why? Why would you just forsake God's steadfast love and mercy and say, hey, let me pursue this vain idol? You are missing out on the best. You are substituting the most incredible, joyful, all-satisfying love for a worthless, vain idol? What are you doing? There's no mercy in idols. There's no love in idols. There's no meaning in idols. There's no salvation in idols. These things are only found in Jesus Christ. What are you doing? Wasting your time with worthless, vain idols. Are there idols in your life? Are there idols that you have replaced God with in your heart that you need to lay aside and return to God as the only one you worship? Recognize the emptiness of idols. Lastly, recognize the fruit of repentance. Verses 9 and 10. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Recognize the fruit of repentance. Jonah's psalm ends with a turning point. Let's read verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In this, I believe we see Jonah's repentance. His repentance is evidenced in his action. Jonah is now a thankful Jonah. And in his thanksgiving, he will proclaim the goodness of God and he will sacrifice for the Lord. Do you see the evidence of repentance in his life? Let's look. Let's look at three characteristics of his repentance. First, his repentance is characterized by thanksgiving. His repentance is characterized by thanksgiving. Is Jonah thankful? Of course he's thankful. 
like, well, God just saved his life. Of course. Jonah was literally sinking to the bottom of the sea with no chance of survival. And then miraculously a fish swallowed him up. And now he's just chilling in the belly of the fish. And he's alive. You bet he's thankful. Wouldn't you be thankful if God performed such an incredible miracle for you? If you are indeed a Christian, God has performed an incredible miracle for you. And I would argue an even greater miracle. God has taken your dead soul and has given you life. God has opened the eyes of a wretched sinner such as yourself. And he's given you understanding of his truth. God saved you when no one else could. Are you thankful? You ought to be. But are you actually? Are you? How is that expressed? How is your thankfulness to God expressed? Sometimes our lives are characterized more by grumbling and complaining than it is by thanksgiving. Have you repented of your sin? Then let your life be characterized by thanksgiving to the Lord. You have much to be thankful for. Second, his repentance is characterized by his proclamation. His repentance is characterized by his proclamation. He says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, he is making it known. Right? He is, he is declaring to others what God has done for him. I mean, why wouldn't he? When something incredible happens to us, do we not share it with everyone? Just look at your social media page. Someone gets matching Christmas pajamas with their family and the whole world has to know. Look at our pajamas. Isn't that great? Look at our pajamas. How about look at our God? Christians, we... We just confess that we have much to be thankful for, right? Then let it be known to others. Proclaim it with your voice. Tell of the wonders and goodness of Jesus to others. Do you proclaim with thanksgiving all that God has done for you? He even says at the very end of the psalm, salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you hear that? I mean, look at that proclamation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember, this was the one thing he didn't want to proclaim in the first place, right? Now it's on his lips. And now he's proclaiming the gospel. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Christian, are you thankful for the salvation God has given you? And proclaim it. Proclaim the gospel to others. Lastly, his repentance is characterized by sacrifice. His repentance is characterized by sacrifice. He says that he will sacrifice to God. Verse 9. He will sacrifice to God. What exactly does that mean? Many people believe he's talking about going into the temple to make sacrifice. The point I believe is that in his repentance and because of the mercy of God, Jonah knows that he can approach God 
and worship him. And Christian, the same is true for you. If you have received the mercy of God, then do not dwell on your past sin. Instead, dwell on the present mercy of God. And know with confidence that you can approach God and worship him. Let your life then be characterized by sacrifice. Is this true of you? Is your life a life that is characterized by sacrifice? Is it characterized by worship? This is a natural outcome and result of the person who has truly repented of their sins. This is repentance, turning of a different way, turning away from sin and turning towards worship. Let your life be a life of worship. Not just scheduled, routine worship. Okay, we're here on Sunday. Now here's my worship. And there's a place for scheduled worship, yes. But a life that demonstrates worship to God in all things because you've received the mercy of God and you have repented of your sins. Now what happens after Jonah's repentance? Look at verse 10. Let's not miss this. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. (laughs) What? You see the difference between Jonah and the fish? Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he fled the other way. The Lord spoke to the fish and it obeys. (laughs) It doesn't rebel like Jonah. It doesn't rebel like you and me. God said, swoop up Jonah and swallow him. And the fish does so. God said, vomit him out on dry land. And the fish does so. The fish doesn't complain. The fish doesn't turn the other way. The fish doesn't question. The fish obeys. Why can't we be like the fish? The fish is the real hero here, I think. (laughs) God says to do something. And the fish does it. It's that simple. Why do we feel we are so special that we have the right to question and go against the word of God? Will your repentance produce a life that obeys the word of God? Or will you continue to run? Will you live a life of unrepentant sin? This chapter begins with Jonah in the belly of a fish. And it ends with Jonah vomited out on dry land. Okay. What happens in between? What happens in those three days and three nights in the belly of the fish? We don't know all that took place. We know that Jonah prayed to the Lord. And in his prayer, we see Jonah recognized his hopelessness apart from God. Jonah recognized the emptiness of idols. And Jonah recognized the fruit of repentance. Jonah had a choice to make. He was in the belly of a fish. And he could have continued to be stubborn and turn his back towards God as he had up to this point. Or he could have turned to God in prayer and learned the lesson that God had for him to learn. I believe the storm... And the fish 
All of this was part of God's loving discipline on his servant Jonah. In the belly of the fish, Jonah digested what it was that he needed to learn. And Jonah responded with repentance. Jonah responded by learning and growing from his experience and from his sin. You too need to make a choice. You too may need to digest what it is God is teaching you. Every single one of us needs to make a decision if we are going to learn what God has for us to learn. Whether you're a Christian or not, the same question applies to you. Will you listen to what God has for you to learn? If you are not a Christian, I think the most important thing for you to hear from the word of God, for you to learn from God, is the mercy in which he offers you. Why is this mercy so important? Because you need it more than anything. Because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Because you are deserving of God's wrath for all of eternity. And because there is nothing you or I or anyone else can do to save you. But God's mercy changes everything. God in his grace offers his mercy through Jesus Christ. Will you respond in faith and repentance? Or will you continue to run from God? I believe most people in this room have, have heard this before. Right? If you've been at TYG, you've heard this before. And yet some are still running. Some are still running. Some are still turning their backs against God. Some are continuing to reject God and his mercy. Will you continue to reject him? As you sink deeper and deeper into the sea with with no chance of help or survival, will you continue to be stubborn and reject the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Will you recognize your hopelessness apart from God? Will you put away whatever idols are standing between you and God? And will you turn to him in true repentance? If you are a Christian, there's still much for us to learn too, right? We're never done learning. And God is never done teaching. This is our sanctification. We are growing in Christ and we must learn what it is that he is seeking to teach us. If you are in a place where you are not learning and you are not growing, you are not in a good place. We must always be seeking to put off our sin and to put on Christ's likeness. We must always be seeking to grow in our understanding and worship of God. How is it that God is teaching you today? How is it that you are learning? Maybe it's through discipline. Maybe you are in sin and God has or is disciplining you. Will you continue to be stubborn and continue to live in sin and refuse to learn and refuse to put away the sin that needs to be put away with? Cut it off. Mortify it. Have nothing to do with it. Maybe God's loving discipline, disciplining hand is upon you. If so, thank God for that. 
Do not continue in your stubbornness, but turn to God in repentance. Maybe you are learning simply through his word. And it seems simple, and yet at times it can seem so foreign. Christian, are you growing and learning from his word? Are you active in reading his word? Are you engaged in hearing the preaching of his word? Or when you encounter his word, do you read? Do you listen for duty's sake and not for worship? Do you walk away the same as when you came? Do you walk away worshiping God, putting to death sin, and putting on Christ-likeness? Like Jonah, we have a choice to make. How will you respond when you are caught in the belly of the fish? Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would teach us. God, give us the ability to learn and to grow. Help us see our hopelessness apart from you. God, how we need you every day. Help us see the idols in our lives. And God, that we would put them away and be done with them. And help us repent and see the joy it is to live for you. God, you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of all worship and praise. We ask you would bless this time that we have together. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.